Turn to the person next to you and say, I love to give. Oh, good. Hey, I've got an opportunity for you. Glad to hear that I could hear that. Hey, you know, coming up in the next few uh, weeks, you'll be getting your tax rebate. How many love their tax rebate? Come on, somebody. Uh, you're getting some. Some of you are just liars. Come on. I know you like your tax rebate. It's just, when it comes in, and it, it, it's pretty cool. And uh, uh, we, As we said last November, when we were uh, doing our uh, sacrificial offering there, we, we said about this time of the year, on purpose, when your tax rebates come and when that money's coming in, we're going to share to you about our next sacrificial offering that we are going to do. So this morning, I'm putting that on your radar uh, for you. And as we said, we were looking to rename, uh, relaunch and refurbish, and we were believing God for 500000 And you remember in November, we took an offering. We saw 96000 Come on, give yourselves a, a thank you, God, for, for that. 96000 and come in. We also, we had a section over there on the property. So we had two, we've been developing that, putting the roads in. We sold that section. And I want to tell you, uh, uh, the people who bought it are Gia and Jeremy. They're sitting uh, just over uh, over there. And so we're, they're going to be living next door. But I thought just to explain to you, because some people, did they get a special deal or something like that? Just so, just so you know how we did it. We valued that. So we did, put on the road, we did all the drains and all that type of thing. And then with the trustees, what we did is we uh, set up a thing with a lawyer down there so we don't know who's buying it who's who's uh you know can do it they had put in an offer we knew of 160,000 but we were like no sucker it's worth more than that. And so what we did is we, we went and got it professionally valued, and that value was with the lawyer, and so they knew what, uh, what that was. And then they came, came out and, and basically uh, put in an offer along what with a deadline. So we had no clue who's doing it. We had, a, I think, about 1,000 people, Dave, who looked at the uh, thing on the website. Three people made an offer, uh, uh, expressed interest, and only one person made an offer. And it turned out, voila, it was them. And that made us a profit of $60,000. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty cool. So beat that. Okay, so, 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 uh, here, so we, we're believing God for these things. So this first phase that we've been going through is, is basically 95% complete. And so it's time to get into uh, phase two. We want to start working on the foyer. You can see we've already started working on the outside of the uh, building. And so our next sacrificial offering would be um, around that purpose. That's what we want to uh, do that for. So like I say, this is a little bit of a reminder to get it on your uh, radar. So I, I, I know all of you are coming in today just thinking, what's an opportunity I can have to give some of my uh, tax rebates? So I'm glad to be able to uh, help with that. Now, I have to say this. We have to talk about, uh, about this. And I, and, and I do want to say this. If you're here today and you go, oh, man, this is your first time. You go, see, I told you, Mabel, they always talk about money. You, I want to tell you, we don't do that in this, in this church. Pretty much last time we mentioned this was in November. But we, we've got to understand how a church works. It doesn't just it works out of the generous giving of the people who are in it. Turn to the person next to you and say, look, you're just amazing. Thank you uh, so much. You are so amazing, but I do have to bring it up because it is. Uh, uh, we know that there are some people who do not claim their tax rebate. 
they just don't claim it. They don't, they don't go after it. And usually it's, it's for a couple of reasons that uh, they do that. And that, that is the first one is the people have said that that money has been given to God and they don't feel right claiming some of that back. And I shouldn't even be asking for it back. And the second reason is they think that the church itself pays out the rebates. They think, man, and that's pretty rough on the church. That's going to hurt the church if I, if I claim that back. So I want to clarify uh, that for you. Firstly, okay, when you uh, uh, claim your uh, rebate back, you, you've got to understand you are not claiming your tithe back. You are not claiming your tithe back. You are getting some of your hard-earned money that you paid in tax back. How many think that's a good deal? Thank you. About four of you. I don't believe the rest of you. Yeah, I mean, you are getting that hard-earned money that you've paid in tax. The government is giving that back. So what the government returns to you is not the money you have given to God or to the church. And the reason the government does this is because the government understands the contribution and value that churches have in society. That's what they, they, they understand, that the, 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 the social things, keeping families together and all the things that churches do about building community and connecting people and stuff really strengths because they know if they had to pay for that, if they had, I mean, let's face it, the government just wants to change a flag and that costs $26 million and they didn't even get it. What could we do with $26 million? And so the government is going, we understand the contribution churches make and this is our little way of giving an incentive to say thank you to you for giving and for sowing in and continue to do so because they know if we stop doing what we did it would cost the government millions upon millions in terms of social uh, uh, spending and stuff that they would have to do so the government's saying we appreciate that and we want to give back uh, towards that so we've got to understand that and understand you are not claiming the money back from the church, you're claiming a tax rebate, not a tithe rebate. I'm not giving you any money back. I'm just telling you. But you're claiming a tax rebate, not a tithe rebate. The government is paying this, and it has, listen, no negative financial impact on the church. Absolutely none. But claiming it back can have a huge positive impact on the church should you decide to sow it. Oh, yeah. Back into Connect Church, should you decide to sow it back into the vision that we are uh, uh, doing? And how much would that be? I want to just tell you, based on the amounts given to Connect Church over the past year, and you can check it out if you want to see uh, on the Charities Commission website. But so based on the amounts given to Connect Church this past year, there is potentially in this room over $200,000 in tax rebate. Available in this room. How many would like two hundred thousand dollars? Man, so the rest of you are just liars. You just, you just, you just want. I just want to put my hand up. Of course you'd like it. And what can we do with two hundred thousand dollars? That's what the government's saying. Thank you so much for all that you do in the church. We want to give this money as a way of investing back into uh, uh, you and say thank you for your generous, generous giving. So as we approach that sacrificial offering, and we'll give you a, a, um, a, a date in the next week, I, I guess, of when that's going to be. But uh, I want you to really start praying about what you might invest back into that offering. And here's another thing. If you've just suddenly gone, oh, wow, it's not the money that's from the church, and I, the government's given me that's a whole different uh, type of money that we're talking about. Here's the thing. You can go back seven years, I think. Is that right, Dave? And claim it. Is it? 
Four, four, four for you. Four years. Any advance on four? Any advance on four? I'm a faith preacher. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can go back four years and claim all of, uh, all, all of that. So I, I really felt to share that because there are some people who say, no, I don't want to touch it. It's God's money. It's not God's money. It's your hard-earned tax money that the government wants to give you, uh, give you back. And we need to be wise stewards of that which God has made available uh, to us. And uh, so again, a letter will come out. Your receipts are going to be out. But I want to ask you as we head towards that sacrificial offering to rename, relaunch, refurbish, be thinking about what you can do and what you sow as we build towards a sacrificial offering. Turn to the person next to you and say, I will give more than you. Come on. God, we thank you for your word today, and we just asked that you would touch our lives, change and shift our circumstances. Help us to see your word at work in our lives today. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak, an oak for not Oprah, that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, I don't even know how to say that, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it away from the meany Midianites. I want to give some background to this passage. Basically, in this, this chapter in Judges, the, the Israelites had become oppressed by the meany Midianite marauders. It calls them marauders. They were mean. They would come in through the land and as tribal thing, and understand they weren't invaders like an army. What they were is nomadic people coming in like a tribe and like a plague of locusts, they would consume everything. So they'd bring all their cattle, they'd bring all their herds, they'd bring whatever they had, and they, they often would team up with other nomadic people, all the ites of the Bible, the Amalekites, so that you'd have the Midianites, and then you'd have the Amalekites, and the pesticides, and the mosquito bites, and all the ites. That, well, that was a joke, you can laugh there, right there. All the ites of the Bible. And so, and so they, would, they, they would come through like a swarm moving through the land. And they would literally consume every crop. They would, they, they, they would eat every bit of grass or their, 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 whatever was available, they would take it. Take, because of their numbers, uh, uh, they, would, they would take whatever they wanted. And so, of course, the people of Israel, they were afraid. They were freaking out, man. They were, they were worried about all of this. And the Bible tells us if you uh, uh, would read in your own uh, reading time, your private devotion time, you would see that the Israelite people at that time were so afraid they were hiding in the cliffs of rock. They were making strongholds in places because they only had a little bit of food. And if the Midianites uh, uh, found out about it, they, they would come and take that from them. And so in that circumstance, in that situation, we, we find Gideon hiding away in a wine press. A narrow and confined space, threshing the wheat. That is something that is usually done outside. You don't usually thresh wheat, as far as I know, in a wine press. When we're in India, we can often see people doing wheat, throwing it, even with rice or whatever, throwing it in the air, just getting it. You do it outside. But because of the situation they were in, they were getting was hiding away. And so the Bible tells us here we find him in this place. 
hiding, threshing the wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And verse 12 tells us when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if you looked at the situation at face value, if you just looked at it, how in, in appearance, at face value, he didn't look much like a mighty warrior. Here he was afraid. Here he was lost hope. If you read, and we know he was afraid. We know he'd lost hope. If you just read in the context of it, here he was going, man, I am scared. I'm, these people are going to rob me. These people are going to, but yet here is the angel of the Lord. At face value, he didn't look like a mighty warrior, but here is the angel of the Lord saying, I'm with you. Mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. Now Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And there wasn't much to see right there. Listen, friends, I believe the Lord often addresses our potential rather than our current position. I'll say it again. I believe that the Lord often in our lives will address our, our potential when he shows up, when he speaks. And maybe we feel trapped like with somebody in a wine press. Maybe we, we feel like things are coming against us. But sometimes I, 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 think, I think in my experience, I've been walking with the Lord for a while. He often will speak to our potential. He'll address our potential rather than our current position. We know where we're at. We know we've got struggles. We know we've got pain. But God doesn't speak to that. And he does that right here to Gideon. The Lord in that moment, the Lord in that moment, by his word, defined who Gideon was. Mighty warrior. Gideon, I'm sure, didn't look like one, and I'm sure he didn't feel like one. Yet God declared and defined it to be so. I want to ask you today, what defines you? What defines you? Does your current situation Or God's declaration define you? You like that? I made that up all by myself. <laughs> I said it to Grace yesterday. She's like, oh, it's all right. But I want to ask you, what defines you? Your current situation or God's declaration? Did, 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 what, what defines you? Does the world define you or do you let God's word define you? Does the world define who you are or do you let God's word define who you are? What defines you? A lot of people, they allow failure to define them. Allow failure to define them. Many, many people do. They, 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 they speak like this. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I, I'm a deadbeat. I'm no good at anything. Are you here today? Maybe that's you. 
Oh man, I can't do anything. I can't. This. I, I, I'm just such a this. I'm just such a uh, that. I'm never good at anything. And I, Mark, we let our failures uh, define us. Turn to the person next to you and say, Stop it. And it's so easy to look at what we get wrong instead of what we do right. Uh, isn't it so easy to? Do that. We allow these things, our failures, our, our problems to define who we are. And there will be people, not everybody, but there will be people here today who are like that. If you were to mark out your life, that's how you would speak about yourself. That's how you would talk about those things. That, that, that's become your, your definition of yourself. You've allowed failure. And here's the thing. We've all mucked up. We've all messed up from time to time. But, but we should never allow... Our failures to define who we are. We need to allow God's word. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching. We need to allow God's word to define us. What defines you? Others allow their circumstances to define them. Others allow their circumstances to, to, to define them. They, they let the hell they're going through rather than the heaven they're going to define them. Thank you, thank you. They do. They allow their situation that they're, and stuff that they're, they're walking through, their situation that they're going through at the moment, that's, that's their world. I'm stuck in the wine press. I look at my situation. Look at what I, I, I have to do. Look at all the problems I've got. Other circumstances, you know, this is, this is my lot. We've always been poor. We've, we've, we've always been this way. My family's always been like that. My relationships are always like that. My marriage has always been on my job. It's always. We allow our circumstances to define us. I'm preaching myself happy today. What do you let define you? Who do you let define you? Who do you let define you? Does what other people say about you or have said about you define you? Is that whose word you take on the subject? A couple of weeks ago, I'd come back from Australia and... and my wife, we've built a new house over here, as you um, will know. And, and one of the reasons we've done that is my parents are now living on the, the bottom of the house. So I thought, but like a, like a good son, yeah, like a good son, I wanted to build a place for my parents. And where they could live on the bottom and we can look after them because uh, they need a lot of looking after, uh, uh, especially my father. Um, <laughs> But, but, but I wanted to build a place, so we live on the top and they live on the bottom. And so obviously all of our stuff is all combined and the garage is uh, full, of stu- uh, full of stuff as well as Ruben staying in the garage. He's got no, he, we haven't uh, got him a room yet because Jer and Jeremy are in his room. And so we've got about a thousand people living at our, our house. But because we've got all our stuff there, sometime mom, my mother had found my Plunkett book. Yeah, yeah. Rather large child. He's uh, no, that's, uh, <laughs> cute, amazingly cute. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's what it says. Eating well. Yeah. 
Yep. Amen. I was just waiting for someone to say that. But along with that, she also said, hey, look what, I've got your old college reports. Your college reports, you should have a look at them. And she's like, oh, it'll be so funny. She, she handed me my college reports. And she went out of the room and I, I just like, oh yeah. And I just started reading them. You know, and some of them were, were you know, there were some funny bits in there. He must be careful that his popularity at school does not lead to the development of an ego, egotistical personality. <laughs> That's what they used to write back in those days. They still caned you back in those days. I started reading different ones. A disappointing report that reveals that Adam is not applying his knowledge and abilities as well as he could in all the subjects. Its educational foundations for the future are being laid now. He, he must, before, before it's too late, make real, real effort. Adam's examination mark. And as I read this, so Anita comes in the room, I'm bawling my eyes out. Because this took me right back to defining moments in my life where people spoke because the person they were right about here, and hey, I was a little, there's no doubt about it. But that is not the person I wanted to be. One of the reasons I was like that is because I struggled. What was interpreted as he doesn't want to work was I didn't understand. And so I would try and try. And so Anita's thought this would be a fun thing to give this to me. I'm there falling to pieces as I'm reading this. It's a reflection of his idleness and his off-task activities. Not interested in the subject. It's not that I wasn't interested in this. And so this is ripping me, this is ripping me apart. And I'm weeping there and I'm going because I knew that was not the person I wanted to be. And it talk about the pain of the school days because everyone tries to be cool when you're at school. <laughs> wow, that rhymed. <laughs> but for me, it just brought back pain. For me, those moments when those teachers, I remember them saying those things and, and that became the mantra of, of, of my life. And in fact, I was talking with, with Callan, if it's okay to say, and he was like, what are you preaching on on uh, uh, Sunday? And I said, I'm preaching on this. And he's like, man, I remember our English exam. I remember the teacher just saying, you're no good at English. And he's like, that from that day on, it defined me. I'm just like, I'm no good at English. I hate English. I hate, uh, I hate man, the power of our words. Watch yeah, your words. And so I'm sitting there crying and it took me right back to a moment because I know the moment everything changed for me at school. And it was at primary school when I, I, I spent hours creating a project. We were doing a project and well, I, I had picked a project on the Harrier Hawk. And I remember that I worked like incredibly hard 
on that. I've really done my best. I put my best effort and I had a cool, I even remember the cover. It was a cool gold cover. I'd drawn a Harrier Hawk on it. And, 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 and I thought, man, this is a good piece of work. And our school at that time was doing sort of this connect school thing with a master and uh, 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 primary school. And what they would do is they would take our projects and they would send it over to those schools for the other kids to comment on. Yeah, they used to do that back then. <laughs> and then they sent it back and we would do, do theirs. And I remember getting it and I don't think the teacher would have checked what was written in there. But basically some of the kids had written some of the meanest, nastiest things about my project that I had worked real hard on. It still gets emotional right now. <laughs> That's why I don't go to Masterton. <laughs> Stuff your Masterton. <laughs> How do you know some of those kids might be in the churches over there? And, uh, maybe I should go and tell my story over there. That was me. <laughs> but in that moment, that, that, that what those people had said defined me. What that mo- From that moment, yeah, I'm dumb. Yeah, I can't do schoolwork. Yeah, I'm no good. I know because I work so hard on that. And some of you will be feeling that right now on situations and things that have been said to you because I work so hard on that. And obviously, it was dumb. Obviously, it was useless. And I let those words define me. And that wrecked from that moment my school life. And all teachers did from those point of time is just confirmed what was there because people look at our current situation rather than our potential. That's why I love what God speaks in His Word. And as I was weeping, as I was weeping, I started to think, but hey, that's not me anymore. That's not me anymore. That was me, and so that's not me anymore. First Samuel 10, verse 6. When Saul was being anointed by Samuel, Samuel said this, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy and you will be changed. Everybody say changed. You will be changed into a different person. When Samuel anointed Saul to be king, this is what he said. When God touches you, when God calls you, when God somehow gets hold of your life, you will change. There'll be a change when the Spirit of God, we're coming up to that time of Pentecost where you remember the Spirit of God's encounter in the upper room that turned a bunch of disciples of 120, turned their lives around. We have to understand that same Spirit is at work even now. That same Spirit is at work when the Spirit of God comes upon you. You will be changed into a different person. The New Testament says, when Christ gets hold of you, you, the old is gone, the new has come. You become a new creation. And so I understand that, the, that when, I, when I thought about those moments, then the, the, 
when I thought about the heartache and all that that took place in, in school, yet when I was 20 years old, I had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with God and the Spirit of God in a place just like this touched my life. And from that moment on, I was a different person. know Saul as he went through life he forgot about this and he he allowed his fears to define him he allowed his insecurities to define him he lost sight of the fact that when the spirit of God came upon him he would be changed into a different person and he let those old things and those old stuff come back and affect his his life but I'm here Today to tell you that when the Spirit of God touched my life, He changed me and I'm a different person. And I'm here today to tell you that when the Spirit of God, come on somebody, touches your life, you are changed into a different person. Not because you're trying hard, not because you're getting some self-help lessons, not because you're trying to be a good person. You are changing because the Spirit of God does that work, does that work, a work of justification, a work of sanctification in your life. Tap your neighbor and say, he's changed you. Go on, say it like you believe it now. He's changed you. I'm here today to tell you to stop being defined by your situation and start being defined by God's divine declaration of who you are. Stop worrying what the world says about you and start believing what the Word says about you. Because what the world thinks about you don't matter. Because the word says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world greater. See, we've got to be people who let God's divine definition establish our true position who we really are in him not by our situation not by who other people say we are we, we, we've got to get his divine definition to be the one that establishes our true position who we are What defines you? Let his word define you. Mighty warrior. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
Stop being defined by what you're going through. Start being defined by the heaven you're going to. Any mighty warriors in the house today? We've got to be defined by His Word. We've got to let His Word define us. You've got to let the work of the cross define you. You've got to let the power of the chain-breaking, sin-crushing, demon-defeating resurrection define you. You've got to let His Word define you that says you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Let that define you. Let the fact of the, the Word of God that you, you didn't choose Him, but He chose you. He, he chose you and He has appointed you. Let His Word define you. Oh man, I get so, so scared, man, to, to do that and believe His Word. Well, I want to tell you, His Word says He's not given you a spirit of fear, but He's given you, let His Word define you. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and a sound mind. Let those things define you. Let His Word define you. Man, I never make it through. No, no. He who began this good work in you, He who began it, I want to tell you, come on somebody, He who began it will complete it. Oh man, I feel so alone. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, neither height nor depth, angels nor death. Nothing. So let His Word define you. Let His cross define you. Let His resurrection define you. Stop letting the devil dictate His mandate over your life. Stop believing what the devil says about you. You're no good. You can't do it. You can't make it. Stop believing the lies of the devil and start believing the truth of God that he's spoken. Oh, yes, you muck up. Yes, you fail. Yes, you stuff up. But hey, he has won the victory for us. Amen. Stop believing the truth of God. His definition. Live according to his word. Listen, friend, you can't receive what he has for you until you accept what he's done for you. Accept that he's done it. It is finished. Walk in it. You might not feel it. You might not look like it. But we're not to go by feelings. We're to go by faith. Can I hear in a good amen? That's a good place to say amen. Right there, we, we go by faith. Tap your neighbor and say, I think I'm looking at a mighty warrior right now. Come on. Live according to his word. Let his word define you. Amen.